0: Welcome to 100 PM, the show where we interview 100 active product managers from startups to enterprise, everything in between, all from one great city every season. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com. That's the number 100, productmanagers.com. It's the web's largest single free resource for product management topics. We've got tons of great articles about business, technology, and design, fabulous contributors, and the official must-read, listen-to, follow list. As recommended by our incredible guests week over week, it's season one. We're here in sunny Los Angeles. I'm your host, Susanna Bate, resident instructor at General Assembly, and founder of the Development Factory. Welcome and thanks for listening. We've all heard the term minimum viable product, but what about minimum viable product manager? In today's episode, I'm sitting down with Kellen Haley, product manager for NBC Universal talking about being a PM for hire, and how not developing your own skills can actually help you get the most value from any team.
1: I came from a data analysis type background at UCLA. I was doing MATLAB and like research design for them. And I got thrown into technology, and I was trying to build an application. I raised a seed round in 2013 for a small app that was you know, supposed to be a great algorithm-driven type application in the health space. <laughs> and um, when I got there, I was the person who said, I'm gonna do it all. I tried to learn how to not only like, run the business side or try and dive in and learn as much as I could about technology and the side of like, monetizing applications and the business side, but I also tried to throw myself into coding and tell myself, hey, like if I'm gonna build this application, I need to know how to code. And it was probably the biggest mistake I ever made because I wasted a lot of time trying to understand um, such a deep uh, you know, world of technology that I really feel like product managers don't need to know. And at that point, I was, again, running a company, but you know, when you're running an early stage company, you basically are a product manager. You have a small product. Um, you hopefully have a small team in these you know, kind of areas of things, and you're the one who's you know, managing all of it and making sure that this product is going in the right direction for success um, and seeing it through its life cycle. So I would say that the biggest mistake or one of these areas that I think that you should not be touching on as a product manager um, is really trying to be the developer as well. Um, so we have this kind of understanding, um, and I really think it's important to understand the uh, maturity of programming languages, how they work, where they you know come into play, where they can be efficient and where they're not, um, which types of systems within a tech stack might be better for certain types of products and which ones may not be. Um, but as a product manager, I don't really feel that it's um, necessary to be the one, you know, actually able to fix the bugs or, you know, kind of bring the MVP to life um, on the back end or whatnot, but to have a general understanding of, okay, if you tell me eight hours for, you know, a token on an Instagram API, I can call your bullshit. Um, Basically understand the time it takes to put into these products and how they're built um, rather than actually trying to build them yourself. Um, And I think there's kind of like this balance because of the way that software works and how fast technology matures and how it works. Um, If you try and spend time learning a language, you will miss, you will be light years behind in regards to what you could be as a product manager, like overall in all three of those spaces. So being efficient with your time, I think is like the most important thing.
0: Do you think, uh, how do you think that manifests for, and, and I agree with you, right? Yeah. If, if you're the founder, oftentimes you are the product manager. Yeah. And, and then sometimes, as we know, founders have a tough time letting go of that role yeah. as the company grows. But what if you are an engineer that's also a founder? How have you seen, is it difficult for them to stop coding and hand that over to somebody sure. else? Because product is vision. You know, this yeah. is the thing. It's strategy. It's not about being in the trenches. It's about being up above and seeing what's yeah. next. Totally. I it's hard. Um, well,
1: I can kind of also relate. Again, I, I, I try and dive into a lot of projects, and uh, there's been a few projects where my partner or you know co-founders have been just purely developers. Um, and you know, coming from a more of a business type background, trying to actually combine the two, um, I think it's it's how do I put this? Understanding people's strengths and also their weaknesses, as well as understanding your own strengths and weaknesses, to kind of blend the two to have enough respect within your team to be like, hey, like phrase it in a way like you are the guy in the trenches, but eventually there's going to be too much work to do. How do we be the, the most efficient and most successful team by splitting up these roles to weigh in on our strengths and also give somebody else our weaknesses that may be their strengths. Um, working with developers is, I don't want to say it's always a challenge, but... Um, <laughs> I always yeah. Say I think it's, it's, a, it's a work in progress, right? Everyone has different, again, skill sets that, that, that make a difference. And sometimes we like to try and do it all because we get so invested, emotionally invested in the products that we create. Um, and I think over time, especially when you have developers that are in co-founder type roles, you start seeing mistakes that you could have prevented by just having too much pride, right? Or wanting to be the person that does it all. Um, and so at least when I start projects where I try and you know kind of create more MVP type products for my own you know interest or any project that I'm a part of if there's a developer on board in the beginning I think we try and kind of create a roadmap um, and also understand almost like a gut check like if this product becomes the next you know billion dollar idea, I'm not going to be the one running that billion dollar product right I don't think that I have enough experience to run a billion dollar company but I want to make sure that in the plan that we understand that we're, like, you know, comprehensively, like, on the same page. So I don't think it's a developer thing or, like, a business thing. I think it's honestly just a personality thing. Some developers will be super attached to it, and that's either going to create mistakes or create success. Um, and finding the right kind of gel between teams and, again, understanding where strengths and weaknesses are, really, to me, like, as a product manager, like, understanding that and creating that respect level between everybody is where you start getting, like, this almost, like, uh chemistry that creates these billion dollar products so yeah i don't i don't think any developer is like attached to product management they just get emotionally attached to what they built right Mm -hmm. so i get it
0: (laughs) so you know we we joke about the challenge of communicating with developers and and truthfully they get a bad rep it's equally challenging to talk to designers and to talk to marketing people but developers speak a certain type of there's i always think of it as like the proverbial arms are crossed and they're waiting for you to say the code word and then kind of you're going to go Madonna. now you yeah. can come in oh now you're part of our club. the toll trolls right yeah. yeah do you think that being a woman makes that more challenging or different in any way because number one developers are still predominantly male yeah. how does how has that impacted you in your career
1: um well i will say and i think this is something that is unique um i have never actually worked with a female developer. Um, every project that I've been a part of, I've only had, I guess, the um, privilege and opportunity to work with male developers.
0: Female developers, if you're out yeah, there, come please find me, find call.
1: <laughs> come find me. Um, I, you know, being a woman in general in this industry can be difficult. Um, I recently have experienced that a lot. Um, I had a conversation I felt with um, one of the founders of a project I was a part of um, who is an amazing guy, um, really tries to do a lot of good in the world. Um, I came to him with a concern, um, who he was also a developer, just so you know, um, a concern on the way that he spoke to me. Um, not in a sense of like, I was trying to take things personal, but it was like the way he would approach things. Every time he would speak to me as his product manager, he would say, um, don't take things personal. I don't want you to internalize this. Um, and it was like in saying that it's like, you're, automatically thinking that I'm going to take it personal. And so it was like, hey, can we chat for a second? Like, I'd really, really like it if we could be on the same playing field. Like, you know, for us to work together as a team and really understand, again, where my strengths are in this project and where yours are, we need to be able to um, have a blanket level of respect that I'm not under you, you're not under me, like we are working together. Um, And it was the first time I've ever had someone actually get very upset with me. Um, over it. And it was a learning experience for me, maybe. Well,
0: about you bringing it to his attention in yeah. general. That's what and he was upset about.
1: I honestly really, you know, and again, this is, I think, a personal opinion. Um, I truly think it had to do with me being a female. He thought that I was taking things personal or inter- or thought that I would take things personal and internalize things because I was a female rather than if he was talking to one of his bros, um, you know, sitting next to you on a desk, um, and wouldn't have a problem. Um, so I think, you know, know, I've, I've, I've never had any like serious issues with it. Um, I definitely see a problem where like, no matter what I do and even being, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm gay. So I'm, I'm very heavily involved in the LGBT community. That's
0: that's snake eyes basically. Um,
1: I think it's helped me like a little bit. Um, cause I think some of the guys think that they can kind of like talk to me like a bro, even though like, I don't really like play that game, but, um, you know, so there's like there's like a level of it can help you in the sense if you're like really public about who you are, um, but maybe just in the sense of no matter what, just because of the culture it, it does become an issue in some sense. So, but you know across the board all together, um, I think it's just how you portray yourself as a as a person. Um, I'm never going to be a product manager that comes into a room and tries to um, act like I know. You know everything. Like I think another learning experience for me is to just be humble when you go into like a new team, um, or you get the privilege to be a part of a team or a new product or feature or whatever you're doing, um, and just honestly try and understand and hear the people out. Um, I think when you come from kind of like a very like respectful as well as like enthusiastic background, or like a kind of willpower, I guess. Um, to just really, like, not necessarily talk about it, but really try and do it. Um, People just respect that in general. Um, And the one thing I do love about this industry, and the reason why I switched from a super corporate, you know, UCLA-type ladder of trying to be what I was trying to do was be a doctor to technology, and especially startups, is that I can be exactly who I want to be every day and someone finds good at that. Someone understands that like people have skills that they can offer and make great things happen. Um, whether that be a fintech application or an e-commerce web platform, if you're willing to learn it and really willing to just humbly be like, you know what? I don't know this, but show me how. And show me how so we can all be better like we become a better team. So like woman, man, I don't think it necessarily matters. You're gonna get personalities all over the place, but if you can come to the table as a product manager and really kind of bring that attitude, I think it's a much more effective like role as well as like you're a better team player.
0: When, and one of the things I, I often try to do, you know, in this program in particular is, is demystify this concept sure. of product. Because part of it is, what is product yeah. management? <laughs> How would you, you know, you, do you tell your friend, you tell your partner, I'm a product manager, do they even know what that means?
1: Yeah. Well, my, my girlfriend, um, who is, again, she's a a writer, digital marketer, like assistant editor for digital magazines. So she knows what it is because she deals with product managers all the time. And, and one of her product or head of product at her company is actually one of my best friends. Um, so, you know, my girlfriend knows, but I think when I tell my friends, I mean, unless they're in tech, which most of my friends are, I try and surround my people, my, be my, my people be the, you know, the industry that I'm in. because The more minds and different you know skills you can bring together, the more collaborative you are. Um, But in regards to just like someone asking me like, oh, what do you do, I usually phrase it as um, uh, if I say product manager and they're like, oh, like, so you design like clothes or you design like hardware. I'm like, no, I'm I'm a technical product manager that designs software or like I'm a part of software teams that make products a reality. Um, And they're kind of like, oh, okay, so you build apps. And I'm like, well, kind of. Um, And the way I phrase it is that I'm basically, I think product managers are um, the CEOs of their products, right? Uh, You you have project management, which is also something different, but also goes hand in hand with product management. Um, You better know how to do it and do it well and just, you know, put in the time to get good at it. Um, But understand that product managers not only see through with, like, projects within the product, but also see this kind of like product life cycle. You see this product through its entire life, um, or you're hoping to. Um, at least that's my goal in my mind. Um, and that's what I tell people. I tell them I'm the CEO of product and I don't necessarily do product management. I am a little bit more, again, on the higher level of strategy. Like I want to be able to take business um, stakeholders and what they need and also be able to take the technical side and make it a reality. And usually that works. They kind of get an idea. And then usually right after that, they go, oh, I have a great idea for an app.
0: <laughs> yes, I've heard that uh, more than once in my life. But sure. I will say
1: the best way to get them to kind of like not quiet because some people have great ideas, you know, and some people don't. I know I come up with, you know, silly ideas all the time, but the best way to, you know, check them and what they think is going to be the next Facebook is how do you make money? And If they have no way of giving me like a you know reasonable like um you know monthly you know income or revenue like i'm just like look you cannot define products on users like it's very like especially now as we go into kind of like a recession um you have to be able to create cash flow positive type businesses and when you can give me an idea and show me how you're gonna make cash every single month from even a small amount of users, if you can make money from day one, then I'll hear you out. Um and that's how I gut check myself too. I go, Ah oh man, this is a great idea. You know, I'm gonna start, you know, putting some requirements together and, you know, put some mock ups and I'll test it. Um and then I got checked myself and I say, well, how am I actually going to try and make money on like a, you know, at scale?
0: Well, the instinct is definitely to go towards solution. You, know, you totally. see this is common in designers and developers, people who inherently can see solutions, yeah, I'm sure they right. immediately want to go there. And when we do that, we skip over all of the work like customer development. <laughs> and does anybody even want this thing? Yeah. And just how many competitors are already trying to do this? And. You know, ideas, the other thing is, ideas are a multiplier of execution. At the development factory, we get this all the time. People say, I've got this great idea for an app, will you guys build it? For free, and you know, we're certainly not averse to coming in as equity partners. But I'm the same. That the first thing that I want to know is, well, where is your business model? Yeah. You know, what what work have you done to demonstrate that you have a plan for customer acquisition sure. and tracking against those? And you know, it's this myth of we'll build it first and then we'll solve for build that it. They will come. Which, by right. the way, <laughs> I have done. You know, these have yeah, been my own desires. I have jumped to solutions and built great products, and sure. then thought, "Shit, what the hell did I just do?" How are we going to find people? And it's hard to reverse engineer oh, yeah. a marketing strategy onto an existing product.
1: And I think when I, you know, get into meetings with, you know, more of the business side of stakeholders, like um, the biggest thing that I try and, you know, relay if this is like a almost kind of like a, it's an, it's an, almost an emotional tie. You know, they're like, "No, it's going to work." And I'm like, this is not just about, like, reverse engineering and having mistakes made that we could avoid. It's costly. We're wasting money. Every time a developer sits down and is on a computer, his hours, time is money. So, you know, to be able to really understand, like, the data and analytics that can go into even just the market research of the types of products that people are building, I think is probably also one of the best skills and one of the most useful skills as a product manager you can have. Like, I will go and figure out every like, you know, KPI that I can figure out um, for a market or a feature before I even go to the drawing board and try and create mock-ups or kind of, you know, start these kind of like uh, meetings or stand-ups to, to figure out what the next step is. And it, it, I learned this through failure. Uh, you know, I built two products. Um, one of them I got a little bit better, but we still, I think, spent way too much time in just designing and developing a product even as we were doing you know, the market research and trying to kind of, you know, figure out where our, our actual market was, um, and we still wasted a bunch. Um, I think there's a lot in saying that you can, there's a lot of products or tools out there that I think product managers can use um, that are completely free or very cost effective to even just see um, if people are interested in an idea and how you, know, you can use those metrics to kind of figure out where your first building block is um, to create a product or a feature within an already existing product. So keep that in mind, KPIs, those are the ones, find, find the web analytics and mobile analytics tools to make your life easier and, and hold them like a Bible. So that's my, that's my game. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Who, who is this job for? You know, if, if, how do you know if product management is right for you? What kind of person does it take? <laughs> I mean, there's, it's so different. Yeah. But, but uh, well, you, it's funny because
1: I never saw myself as a product manager.
0: You were going to be a doctor.
1: I was going to be a doctor. I had already, like, I graduated at UCSD. I'm from San Diego. It's the best city in the world. I might be a little biased. But uh, um, I graduated. I had done a complete honors thesis on, you know, <laughs> brain tumors in rats. Um, it was, like, super weird. I was, like, a brain surgeon on the weekends for mice completely like <laughs> legal and very, they're treated like kings. But uh, I, yeah, I was set on being a doctor and it was funny because my mom's in dentistry and she was always like, be a dentist, be a dentist, be a dentist. It's a great field to be in. It's not as long of a track, you know, the, not as many loans, but you can still make a really decent income, which I'm all for dentistry. It's a great field to be in. Um, as well as doctors, you know, medicine has still got a lot of great things going for it and we'll kind of see how it goes in the future. Um, But every single day that I sat down and studied and did the things I did for that track, um, and even when I was at UCLA doing my PhD thesis or preparing for my PhD thesis there, um, I never, ever saw myself as the person who wanted to cure cancer or, um, I don't know, my interest in it was was never the science. I liked the science and I liked the, you know, kind of the nitty-gritty of it. But I always wanted to build an empire. That was what I told myself. My my goal was to build an empire. I didn't ever see myself being, you know, a part of like a research type, you know, medical institution or anything. I saw myself building a private practice and then completely just taking it to scale, expanding it as far as I could. And then eventually my goal was to take six months of the year, surf the world and do pro bono work and have other people running my practice at home. Um, But over time, as I got more and more involved in this kind of like ladder of, you know, seniority I started to realize how much my personality didn't match um, just in general, like the type of people. I'm not saying that they're they're just not, um, overall, when you get into a very science-driven type field, they love science. And I started to ask more questions about the funding for projects and how these things were allocated and why and how we could be better with it rather than the actual science of the vaccines and stuff that we were using.
0: You wanted to build and fix things. Exactly. And they're like, yeah. just, shh, and, and I'm looking yeah, into this. My PIs would be like, you know, I don't think this is really your
1: job. And it's like, well, I, still, I just, I'm curious. I want to know why. And it, I kind of take myself as like uh, someone who will never be able to 100% work for somebody else. Um, I got driven to technology in particular because I feel as if it's a very open industry where you can come from any background or come from anything and someone will hear you out. If you have an idea and you prove it, it doesn't matter if you're 12 years old or you're 85, as well as it has no no relevance to where your experience comes from. If you prove something and you validate it and you can continue to validate it and prove that you're willing to put in the time to make it better and, and expand it, someone will hear you out. And just from my own personal, like kind of broken background, like that was something that was really meaningful for me. And so product management to me is the opportunity to own products or projects and really have a say in what goes on, but also understand and learn from the people around you. So like my ultimate goal would be to run my own company. Like I don't necessarily see myself a product manager for the rest of my life. Um, But in saying that, I will always be a product manager in whatever role I do. So if I had a perfect world or a perfect scenario, I would run a, you know, multi-million to billion-dollar tech company that hopefully we took from the ground up and built with, you know, good, efficient analytics, um, you know, problem solving, and, you know, just kind of a good roadmap to success. Um, But I would never be able to do that if I didn't start small. So a big lesson I learned with my first company that, again, miserably failed was that I had no idea what it really took to build a tech company. And I think product management is the type of personality where you have people who want to be in those executive roles and they want to put in the time and they want to learn and they want to get their hands dirty and do whatever it takes. Um, And there's like a level of like, if you never actually get to that executive role, you still have the ability to really own what you build and also see it through. So if you're the kind of person who sets goals and just is a diehard bulldog that wants to get it done and see things happen before your eyes from start to finish, product management is for you. And I also think that product management is good because there's a lot of different paths within business that get very structured, you know, and you kind of start to hit walls or ceilings, I should say, excuse me, ceilings. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I have a friend who's one of the smartest guys I know. Um, he works for a startup called unified, um, who's a social media analytics type company that he's, I mean, he's quadrupled his accounts. He runs all of the social media, um, you know, campaigns for these large brands and corporations. And he's, he's the guy I go to when I need help with, you know, just trying to create efficient social media, you know, testing. And, uh, He told me the same thing. He was like, man, you know, once I hit senior account manager, like I either have to like go get an MBA or um, go more into like just kind of like management, but I don't have the ability to really create products or like create solutions for problems I see in what we're doing right now. And that's what I like about product management, again, is to be able to create products and see things through um, and say, okay, here's what the user is saying or the consumer is saying. Um, Let's dive into this and try and find a way to solve it. Um, and being able to have the respect of, like, again, have the mentors above you or the, you know, executive stakeholders that usually have a lot of experience that have the, you know, mindset of the, the overall, like, long-term vision, but you be able to see that long-term vision as, and also be, like, kind of on the ground level with everyone in the trenches and see what it takes to make that vision happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm uh, an entrepreneur for over 20 years. Yeah. I, mean, I always joke, I have this really robust skill set and I'm pretty sure that I'm not hireable because yeah, anyone right. would <laughs> see me and they're like, no, all you're going to do is create problems for my organization yeah. <laughs> um, because instinctively you want to come in and then start fixing things. Totally. And I always have to remember this is not your role here. You're yeah. just here to, you know, provide a, a, a specific function. And I think that is the thrill of product management. It's sort of endlessly creative. There is no totally. kind of one output. And yeah. it's interesting that to think about it in terms of, I guess I'm imagining the reluctant product manager getting pushed. we always, we talk about the pressure cooker as this place that sounds really scary pressure. It's hot. And then it's like, but we don't want to go. I don't want to be the CEO. Then I'm just going to be holding AGMs and shaking hands. I want to be, you know, in the, in the trenches of the figuring it out. Well, and I think
1: that's something to say too. Like I've, I've tried to really grab as many, like, you know, mentors as I possibly can, and especially in the last, like, year to year and a half. Like, I understand, as a product manager, how much more I have to learn as well as, like, what I have learned. And being a CEO, especially an early-stage startup company, um, you'll notice really quickly that their full-time job is basically fundraising, if that's their path. Um, And if it's not their path, they're usually, like, I had a guy um, that I met the other day who's just the most tenacious salesman I've ever met. Um, who's the CEO of his company, um, and he doesn't need to raise around because he's already cash flow positive and doing very well, and hopefully they'll be able to bootstrap and scale. Um, but it just goes to show that his role, the reason why he built that company and he did well was that he just is an insane salesman. He's not a product guy. Um, so he has a product guy, or you know, he has a, a small team that does that. But the CEO himself should not be the one... Um, making sure that every single metric is matched or every goal is met like on the day-to-day or, you know, I would say like, you know, again, we do like more like sprints, you know, the two weeks um, that we go through and we kind of go through this like feedback loop. Um, I don't see CEOs doing that, but I do think it's important for them to understand it. Um, So when I see a CEO that doesn't necessarily put in the time to understand it, I see a limitation Um, and not necessarily a limitation that's going to, you know, determine success or failure, um, but again, maybe create problems um, between his team and maybe his executive stakeholders. Um, when it comes to companies also that get bigger and bigger, um, their vision or their drive is most of the time to keep their investors happy. You know, it's, it's creating growth exponentially, creating that almost kind of like hockey stick graph Um, and you can see it even if you look at it from a large scale of these larger corporations like an Apple or a Microsoft, it's insane how to the T they put their stock prices or how they grow. Um, their revenue growth is, is almost like they plan it, you know, and, um, the product managers don't have to deal with that. Again, they have, they have the ability to still be a part of it and also contribute to it, but, and have a say in it, but also really focus on the product itself. And what what it takes to, to get those numbers, um, so I would say if you're going to be a product manager, take it as I, I see it as a stepping stone, stone really, um, in some sense. You either are going to drive yourself through and still end up in a role that's very much like you know leadership, like you're going to have your product managers underneath. Um, and I hope that if you you go that route, like when I take talk to you know an SVP SVP of product or something. Um, the understanding role of what it takes to get everything done on the day-to-day, but also again that understanding of like the really like high metrics level, you know, like business visionary goals. Um, And you're either gonna gonna be a part of that executive executive team as it is or run your own. Um, And I think that's the best part about it is there's so much to offer. Um, I'm a product manager that prefers to take contracts, you know, because I have the ability to learn all kinds of things And I feel like I'm the CEO of every company that, I, that I'm a part of, you know Because they put so much time and effort into their product and they don't necessarily have the um, Experience to build it. So I kind of feel like I have the ability to not only learn, but also really feel like I make a difference
0: Is there so. uh, is there any product kind of past or present that you think man I would have loved to have been or be mm. part of that product team something just just as more like
1: just anything well, like you're any I mean,
0: thinking about like I I'll, I'll give you the context for this I'm a big Apple Music okay. supporter I'm like Spotify you're done <laughs> Apple Music is coming and everyone thinks I'm Uh-oh. wrong um, and that's fine I like the integration sure. and that's really irrelevant one of my past imaginary jobs that I always thought I would be good at and I haven't fully abandoned is (laughs) being a music supervisor basically making playlists for a living oh you and and I you got a year huh yeah Yeah. so I'm I'm driving and I'm listening to one of the playlists that Apple has recently suggested that I listen to and I thought man that's a new product management role that got created like person or people in charge of coming up with lists to keep improving yeah and I thought can I get into that job and leave sure. behind all of the? Do you have like one um, like that where you're going? Oh, you know what would have been awesome? Or
1: you know, I, off the top of my head, the one company that always comes to mind that I that I think is really awesome, and I'm and you know I haven't actually been following them too 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 much lately, but uh, Lyft.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, and of those pink mustaches? I am the
1: I'm the most anti-uber person ever.
0: Oh really? Um,
1: and only because you know, I never, I never had a bad experience with them. I never saw them as bad. You know, they were definitely the first one that I heard of. Um, I've used them, so I'm not like just someone who was like, "Ew!" Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna use them. Uh, but I think, I think the way that Lyft built themselves as a company was a little bit rebellious. Um, if you look at kind of like their whole like history of things. Um, just looking at the user experience of Uber and how they've changed and expanded, um, to me it's the cookie cutter. Um, we have hyper growth and we're going to literally be the big brother of everything, right? And it's it's one of those like kind of chicken and egg problems, right? You have this company that co- came up with a phenomenal idea which was by no means original. There are types of, there, there basically is the same exact thing, I lived in the Dominican Republic when I was 20. and. Uh, Uber is everywhere in the world, um, and we call them—they're basically just the taxis. But what you would do is instead of being on your phone, what they did was just implement a technology for the exact same thing. Like you're on your phone, and you you say I need a ride. Well, in the Dominican Republic, like, you literally just go onto the side of the road, and you know where these taxi cabs are, or they have like even websites sometimes that'll show you, and you just stop on the road, and you put your hand out, and you see them, and you say I need a ride, and everyone jumps on. And it's like basically Uber Pool. Um, what Uber has done is amazing, but I think that they've gotten too big. And so they're you know trying to find ways to continue that growth and how they expand. You know, I'm sure they have so much R&D that we don't know about, but I think what is special about Lyft is that I think they started to realize that Uber was getting very large very quickly, and all they really were focused on was expanding their drivers um, and being able to, in some sense, become profitable, which they still aren't. But what Lyft has done is they said, okay, there is a there is a market of people who would much more appreciate a friendly driver, um, and so when I go into a Lyft, I feel like their entire mission as a company is to make me like not only give me a ride but give me an experience, um, and. That to me is what creates lifetime conversion, right? Like I am a lifetime customer of Lyft. As, as long as they're going, I will choose Lyft over Uber every single day because that is what they market. That is what their drivers do. They stand by. And every time I leave, I don't just give them a tip. Like I usually am, like, smile from ear to ear and I'm like, that was not only like an easy, like fluid experience on my phone, like no problems, like no questions asked but that person made me feel good after I finished that experience. Um, and I don't necessarily get that when I get into an Uber. Not saying that I have never had it with Uber, because I have, but I'm saying that when I, when I go to Lyft and I you know, say I need a ride, I have conversations with people like every time that just blow my mind. Like I want to get their contact information and be friends with them. And I think it's because they built their company from the ground up with that exact mission. They said, okay, we we are not necessarily anything unique from this person or the next person or a sidecar or whatever else, but our mission is to give you the friendly neighborhood driver that's going to make your day. And so that is the product that I'm always like, I love him. And they, they have a really great team, and I really hope that they continue to do well.
0: So. Well, and it's it's testament too to the importance of creating a unique market position. One hundred percent. I think I see this with my students, my product management students, all the time. Everyone is try. I had this great idea, but then I started doing market research, and I found out that there's all these competitors. So oh, forget but it's but like there's always going to be there's always going to be competitors. Be competitors. Oh. Don't let that be the thing that 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 you know throw in the towel. It's about understanding. Well, where is the gap then? Yeah. And you know, even listening to you describe that, you know, Lyft is smart and says, "Look, we don't have the money, we don't have the scale." Yeah. But but when companies scale, as we know, yeah, it creates gaps because sure. they get messy, they overlook things, and you know, that's a great example.
1: Totally. As well as I think it's it's interesting to see kind of I you know we kind of have a Spotify example here where we have
0: the music industry. Are you a Spotify fan? Is well, that you're <laughs> like I didn't want to see it Well, you know, I, I love.
1: I'm a huge Apple fan. I have like. I'm, I'm holding an iPad right now, like I have an iPhone, I have a Mac, like I'm all about Apple. Um, as well as I was a huge, like I'm a runner and so I still use my iPod Shuffle, the one that like doesn't even have a screen because it's small and convenient and I can run like long distance on with and it. Go.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but the reason why I got attached to Spotify was because um, I used to be the person that, I hate to say it, I'm going to come on, hopefully I don't get arrested for this, like would download a lot of music, like just
0: free, really? free, right? <laughs> Um, free. Yeah. And so you single-handedly ruined the music. 100%. Yeah. It it was all me. Uh, but I think,
1: I think Spotify just got me as an early adopter because I had the ability to just pay, you know, a monthly you know, fee. And I had, had, um, all of the music I was spending hours and hours, like trying to download. I didn't have to do that anymore. So it was a huge time saver for me. Um, and I think I just got attached to them as well as, uh, um, one of my mentors is an investor in them. Um, And he he used to be uh, one of the percussionists for uh, Kanye West and Pharrell and whatnot and uh, Great guy and I met him actually through my first company with with UCLA and He was one of the brand ambassador type guys that was like all the artists should be with Spotify whenever all the artists were like No, this is ridiculous Um, and so I think it just goes to show that again Spotify is to me, not necessarily the best solution. I don't think Apple Music is the best solution. I don't think Tidal is the best solution. I just think that just based on your customers, you are seeing something that they want, right? I don't want to pay for music. I want to be able to, well, I shouldn't say that. I want to I be able to pay for the music I listen to, but I don't want to pay $2 a song, you know, which was like, they were making so much money. And you know, art, I 100% art, you know, or excuse me, support art. And, you know, I want these guys to get paid. But what they've done is I think they've tried to create a middle ground. And Spotify was just the first one to really kind of hone in on a single solution for that. That was legal. Um, that was also in some ways approved by the record labels and how they kind of connected. But what we were getting at was that Spotify um, has now created such a massive uh, influx for the record labels that they're all now investing, you know, in Spotify and all these other things because they have to be able to be, you know create some kind of revenue share with them or they're gonna fail. They're gonna, they're gonna go under. And one thing that always gets me with Lyft is that when Uber got their you know investor, was it GM, I think that invested in them or put a big chunk in them, one of the big, I can't remember who it was, the auto companies decided, okay, Uber's gonna be the way of the future and eventually we probably won't have cars. So I hope that someone on that team was like, hey, check out the music industry right now, just based on the data and like the metrics involved. Um we're gonna be we're gonna be the record label soon. So let's invest quickly now and hopefully get uh, you know some significant share in these companies that are going to, you know change the auto industry as we know it. And uh, I believe it was Toyota that just put money into Lyft. So Lyft is probably doing r and d as well, and that to me is like a metric of success. You know when you have one of these larger brands um, that basically is, again, kind of your controller or like your, you know, Person who's doing the puppet work um, with cars saying, okay, you're doing something right. Um, I'm putting money into you on that level. Goes to show that Uber is going to do what they're going to do and they're going to be great. Um, They're going to, you know, hopefully continue to to expand. But Lyft still has, again, that market niche where they can expand as well and still be just as profitable.
0: Well, and it's. I think it's equally a warning to companies to embrace the idea of product themselves. Sure. You know, I'm from Toronto originally, and before we had Uber, we had Halo. I don't know if you ever. Oh no, I've never heard of it. Okay, so Halo. I think they're still around. They 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 started focusing more intently on the European market and maybe in the South American market. They kind of got pushed out. But I loved Halo. You know, and and. Uh, I remember thinking, so in Toronto, there's a big taxicab kind of conglomerate called Beck Taxi. Ah. And I thought, uh, this is a classic example where if somebody, just one person at Beck had sort of raised their hand and said, we need to get onto people's mobile phones yeah. and create a better user experience to get people into our cabs. Sure. Halo itself might not have been able to cannibalize so much of Beck's market share. And and this is true. I mean, Uber came along because where was New York city taxi company? I mean, they could have been Uber just by turning on their own product. Totally. So, and I
1: think it, it just goes to show though, like, um, I think Waze is a good example of this too, um, which got bought out by Google. Um, and you know, for years, we saw those cars driving around Google making, you know, maps of the world. Um, I always make fun of my girlfriend because one time she called it Google Live View, and I was like, I don't think that's real because if they're doing a live view, that's definitely a violation of our privacy. Um, but we call it Google Live View just because it's funny. But so they're Google Maps and what they were creating and you know, kind of laying the infrastructure of like the vector format of GPS. Waze took that to a whole nother level. But you know, Google could have made that. Like, so if, to me, if I was to go back to like the start of Uber and I started to see um, Uber succeed, if there was a way that I could have bought Uber out as like a taxi conglomerate, like in their first like initial stage, that would have been the best move that they could have made, right? So Google said, okay, well, Waze is a product that's successful. They validated this, you know, it's definitely going to continue to grow and and be what it is. I use it all the time. Um, Let's just buy out. So there's this kind of like speed to market versus doing it themselves as well as validating a concept or an idea. Um, and I wonder, I always wonder that if there's a, if there was a taxi company big enough or like maybe even like a Toyota or something to just say, Uber, we're going to buy you for, you know, let's say 250 million before they actually became the $60 billion company that they were. And if, if they actually would have taken the acquisition. So you just never know. Right.
0: (laughs) This is true. What, uh, two more questions, three more questions. Whatever you need. What advice would you give somebody, so, you know, someone's listening in and they're going, that's me, I'm that entrepreneurial spirit, I'm that bulldog, sure. I'm going into, pro- forget my med school, yeah. you know. I'm going into product just like Helen. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who doesn't know the first place to start, hmm. but has this drive, this spirit, they want to do this? Sure.
1: Um, network. Um, that is the one thing that has saved my ass over everything. Um, being, being willing to reach out and talk to people, uh, be resourceful, read like crazy, find the blogs that you think are interesting and that, you know, have like an actual kind of pull on the interest of products that you're looking at. Um, as, but yeah, network. So when I started my first company and again, had no idea what I was doing and, and was, was very like a lost puppy. Um, I started to reach out to people on LinkedIn Um, just cold messaging like I had kind of like almost like an internal CRM type platform that I used to just kind of track where I was in regards to conversation but it basically was sales Um, I was like hey you know I I would make it personal though like if I saw someone that was you know maybe like head of product at Airbnb like or you know VP of product um, I'd be like yo I really love what you did. Were you
0: starting with yo, by the way, yeah. I'm writing? Yo. Just um,
1: No, you know, I would yo, just... Yo, comma. Yeah. <laughs> I would just make it really personable about like, you know, I would do my research on them. I'd, I'd make it seem like I was their biggest fan. I would start commenting on these people's blogs.
0: Social selling. This oh is yeah. What we 100%. Social selling. Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. So social selling. Um, but I would honestly like really try and hone in on the types of products that I was interested in. Um, the people that were making moves in this space and, and making a difference. Um, And then honestly, just try and create conversation and see if they'd have coffee with me and start discussing ideas. Um, You know, and I I guess in my own, I guess, like advantage, I had a company to kind of like offer being like, hey, I'm trying to build something. Um, But you'd be surprised at how many people love to hear that like you're a fan of what they've done. Um, You know, you're just you're you're building them up to hopefully either be a part of something that you will create um, and have that kind of like bragging right. Um, but also, I'm sure they had plenty of people in their own, you know, experience or kind of like history of product that helped them in their in their career. So yeah, I would say network as much as you can. There's a ton of resources in LA, General Assembly being one of the many places that I definitely like will come hang out, um, just talk to people, um, as well as I think developers are a really great resource to an extent. Um, the biggest thing that I think in product management that... Uh, I don't want to say determines um, good or bad product manager, but is just being able to communicate. Um, you know, you'll see people literally get fired for this, you know, like being able to communicate effectively um, what's happening, what's not happening, how is it being accomplished, and why it's not being accomplished, and where we go from there. Finding problems to make solutions, right? And developers are great because, and I, I kind of feel bad saying it this way, they're they're kind of like me, 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 you know, like sometimes a little pouty. Um, Kind of like this prima donna culture, which I think is also kind of, we're moving away from that. Um, But they will, if you can communicate with developers, you will learn how they work, how, you know, kind of just how to build tech stacks, what it takes to build tech stacks. And if you can have that skill set, like from the ground up, you are ready to be a product manager. The other stuff is easy to me. Like the ability to communicate, the the ability to understand technology, how it flows, how it's built. Um, The rest is kind of just, I think, like kind of like icing on top of the cake, Um, but still just as important. Um, But to me, like your building block, if you start there, um, the testing, the user experience stuff will come a lot easier um, if you're going to try and stay in, you know, technical product management. So that's my two cents.
0: One of the things we're doing at 100 Product Manager, I mean, we're having these great conversations. Uh, We're also trying to build... Phenomenally, at least as of this conversation, there really isn't one single place to go and no. learn about this field. And you know, honestly, it's, it's
1: funny that you say that. I literally had a conversation with another product manager the other day. I, I He's kind of like my devil's advocate. We just throw ideas at each other, and then he gives me all the reasons why it won't work. You know, <laughs> and I give him all the reasons why it won't work. You know, we basically are are that kind of initial, you know, q I guess, for just early stage ideas and how it works. And... It's funny to me that, like, I was like, I I wish we could create almost kind of like a, um, like a Tinder, but not for finding product managers for projects, Um, like an e-commerce type shared economy. Like I'm a product manager. Here's what I specialize in. Here's my projects. Hire me. Um, And being able to like almost create like a consulting, like freelance product management in an e-commerce type setting. Why isn't it happening? I don't know. Maybe because we're just not as mainstream as we should no be. No one's talking
0: about yeah. it. That's part of the problem. Yeah. So so one of the things that, that we're doing is we're building this comprehensive list of, of recommended resources. Mm-hmm. Originally I was like the reading list, that's my inherent bias. Okay. I love to read. I'm I'm dipping my toe in the waters here of, sure. of the listening. But do you have a recommended book, podcast, blog? Some mm-hmm. some um some author? or leader that you follow that you think, man, if you don't know about this person and the ideas they're talking about, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the product management space, but just something that helps you.
1: Um, You know, I think on an overall level, like most of my, like, I guess people that I follow are actually in private equity of all things. um, Only because I think, again, a lot of the stakeholders that you deal with in product management are not just gonna be the tech team, but your stakeholders are gonna be your executives that are only caring about certain things because they have goals to meet, deadlines to meet, they have certain metrics that they're trying to hit. Um, And when you look at these massive angel investors, so I guess I follow a lot of angels, and I, you know, Mark Suster is a good one. He's actually in LA. Um, I am very involved with Matthew Goldman, or Goodman. Goodman? Um, He's the CEO of Wallaby Financial. You know, Mucker Labs is one that I follow a lot. They're an early stage accelerator that has kind of turned into almost like a VC. Um, They do a lot on their, you know, uh, social media and whatnot. I I don't think that necessarily for my personal take, like following people is going to give you the best um, understanding of product management. What I try and do is, again, network into people that are doing it and also ask about their tools. So if I can personally meet someone, or again, kind of create that relationship based on the people that I find and the products that I like, um, I want to know what tools they're using so that I can start playing with them myself. Um, If there's any kind of books or types of books that I would recommend, um, agile, Um, definitely. Agile, scrum type methodology is the way that I do my own product management. I think that most smart companies are kind of going that direction. Um, The lean startup model is like my Bible. Um, it's an amazing book and will give you a really, you know, just kind of overall comprehensive idea of how to build products, you know, in a lean environment. Um, yeah, I think it also really just depends on where you're trying to go. If you're trying to go into data and analytics and build, you know, or maybe like AI type technology, you're want to be a product manager that focuses more on VR and gaming. These are the types of fields you should be looking for, you know, any kind of blog, any kind of books that interest you, but you're not really gonna get, just like in college, you, you read all day long and it's great. You get a general over, you know, kind of oversight of what's happening, but until you actually start talking to people that are doing it and actually sit down on a computer and play with Jira or you know play with Trello or do whatever kind of project management and product management and whatever else that you think you're actually gonna be doing, you're not gonna actually really understand what's happening. Um, and if, even if it just means that you're trialing all these different products and you get on Sketch and you start to you know, play with wireframes and ask questions in forums and kind of figure this out, um, you, don't, you don't have to come from a corporate company. You, you could be a total scrappy, um, just really well-rounded person who understands what it takes to be a product manager. And I, and I honestly believe that the right person will find you and you can definitely build products.
0: Is there a tool then in, in all of your canvassing <laughs> for what everyone's using? Um, What's the most exciting tool that you just got introduced to?
1: It, well, I shouldn't say that. Well, I haven't, you know, I've been, I feel like I've been using a lot of um, well known tools um, recently. Um, but I will say that uh, it's a, it was actually a marketing product, and it was SumoMe. Mm-hmm. Um, which is pretty, it's it's basically just a a, a marketing analytics or web analytics platform that was a better experience for me in regards to heat mapping. Um, But they have a multitude of widgets that go into landing pages. Um, And I think they're kind of like on the cutting edge of like, I guess like the initial kind of like validation of like the types of markets you're trying to test. Um, They have the most amazing tools I've seen um, to kind of Quantitatively like assess that. Um, so as a product manager, I've been like pushing for them. And they're also really cheap, they're really cost-effective. But there are many other tools that do that. I mean, they're not the only ones. Um, so and I think that's something that you'll find too um, is there are definitely like you know kind of like sections or types of things you have to, you know, kind of really hit um, and make sure that you kind of monitor as your metrics. Um, and, you know, Google analytics is probably one of the big ones for web, um, you know, then you have like something like kiss metrics or something like that. Um, you, you want to do heat mapping. You have even just through iTunes connect for mobile, like a lot of the app analytics, you can really hone in on app Annie, how you're doing your keywords. There's optimization, all these other things. Um, and there are always going to be 15 to 20, you know, companies that are all doing these things. So. I don't have an exact tool that I would say, like, oh, this is what I'm using and that I'm, like, super fond of or that I've been introduced to. There's always new tools. Find the ones that work for you. Find the ones that are going to make you the most effective. Find the ones that are going to keep you, like, on track with your goals as well as your team's goals as well as your, your stakeholders' goals, and you will be fine. Most people don't care what you're doing every single day. Your success is, is literally measured on the success of your product. So... I think that if you can be cost effective, have you know the respect of everyone involved, and really keep that overall long-term vision, you
0: will be successful. Do you have uh, Kellen kind of a, a quote or mantra that you know it's like your startup vitamin goes on a mug when when yeah. you when you build that huge empire that we talked about?
1: Um, so. Yeah, um, I, I played softball in college. And there's actually two of them that I that I take to heart, um, and I think this is more of like an early stage type founder, which can go through all things: developer, product manager, executive, whatever you're doing. What you put into it, you're going to get out of it. Simple, right? As well as take care of the little things. If you focus on all of these massive epics or these you know larger you know scheme goals, and you forget that, you know, maybe like there's a button that's not getting, you know, someone through the funnel or whatnot. It may honestly create massive problems down the road. So if you do it right the first time, you know, great, but that's not always a guarantee. But if you continue to take care of the little things and just understand that every little thing matters in what you're doing, how even you're writing an email or how you're approaching your team, you know, like all of this affects the success of this product, right? And that's where that kind of like product management, you are the CEO of your company. You represent your product. So, you know, even if I'm out, I hate to say it, like drinking the night before a big meeting, that to me is a representation of how I care about my day the next day, right? So, um, yeah, what you are what you put into it is what you're gonna get out of it and just take care of the little things. And I think that that overall, um, will push you to be better for whoever's involved in your, in your products or the products that you're a part of, um, as well as push your, push your um, team to be better. If, if you see someone, I think it's just human nature. If someone is really just, you know, stoked and, you know, vibrant about what's going on, whether it's the most boring thing in the world or the most, you know, disruptive thing you've ever seen, people will get excited and want to be a part of it. So um, that's my two cents.
0: Helen, thank you so much yeah. for coming by and our noisy cafe yeah. studio here today. <laughs> really cool looking though. Yeah, really appreciate all your insights. No thank no you worries. so much. Thank you. You're listening to 100 PM the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great resources for anybody looking to learn more about product management or starting a technology business. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. Join me here. We've got a new conversation every Tuesday. We'll see you next time.